Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Valyuko and welcome back to Personal Pans, conversations about belief, transformation, and all the weird and wonderful things that we experience. Today's guest is Jenny McGrath. She is a licensed mental health counselor, a somatic therapist, and a movement educator. She's also one of my favorite people. Um, we, we found each other uh, through a mutual admiration, which is always the best. Um, I was a guest on um, Mega, the podcast, their live stream, and beforehand I figured I'd watch one of the earlier episodes that featured Jenny, and midway through that stream I paused it and I emailed her because I loved what she had to say about trauma. I mean, if you've listened to a minute of this podcast, you know I will always talk about trauma, I will always talk about grief. Um, I think that uh, that talking about these transgressive things uh, is is imperative to the human experience. And she's just so fluent um, and accessible about it. So like I said, reached out, emailed her, and turns out um, she had just listened to my episode um, where I was a guest on Humanize Me, and she also fell in love with me. So uh, she got to come on my podcast and we got to be friends. Um, and you can probably see me like beam love at her if you watch this throughout the entire episode. Um, mostly because it's pretty neat when you, uh, you find each other out out in the ether like that. So uh, Jenny grew up um, a fundamentalist Christian. She's another one of the ex-evangelical team um, in terms of guests. Uh, and she talked about um, even doing missionary work in Uganda and and her path to uh, to therapy and to healing in the body. Just an incredible conversation. And I hope you enjoy it. Again, oh my God. I think it was, I'm trying to remember, there was at one point in while you were on the mega Twitch stream where I paused it right in the middle and I was like, I have to message Jenny immediately. <laughs> I need her to be my friend. Like, oh. <laughs> and I, I can't remember. It was, it was either when you were talking about like the vagus nerve and all of that, because mm -hmm. one of my best friends is a therapist and oh, she yeah. has been talking to me about that for a while and how that's like kind of becoming not really mainstream but more talked about but how yeah. there's still a lot of pushback so as soon as you were talking about that I was like cool she's at the cutting edge of <laughs> trauma therapy and then this other moment when you were talking about how like the experience of trauma doesn't um necessarily create like uh, I, I'm going to use the word neurosis because it reminded me so much of Alice Miller who's like one of my favorite writers yes, where it's yeah. like you can experience something traumatic that doesn't mean it's going to linger forever but what causes right. it to live in the body is if you don't have a place to express it or if the people around yes. you are gaslighting you and telling you that it's not a big deal you're overreacting you know right. all of that it gets yep. stuck you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, oh. Like those two things. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Perfect. Cause those are my favorite things to nerd out about. Um, right. <laughs> and I feel like similar and totally different when I listened to your uh, episode on Humanize Me. I was like, this is so like, I'm very new into a lot of the things that you're into and yeah. it feels just like Honestly, it's been some of my, um, like, I feel like it's been a lot of my, like, anti-racism journey that has sort of kind of opened up 
digging deeper into like witch hunts and like the connections of like sexism and racism and just kind of this idea of like folks who didn't fit into these molds of like what they were supposed to do or how they were supposed to perform gender or things like that. And I just love just how you're thinking through tarot and all of these things in such beautiful ways. Oh so. my gosh, thank you. <laughs> thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, it's, it's one of those, because again, I, you know, I feel like you know, feminist is a word that has gotten appropriated by TERFs and that I find very frustrating because, yeah. you know, when I was taking women and gender studies classes in college, like it was all about deconstructing these hierarchies and our values. Like, do we really want these values? Who benefits and who suffers from this? So yeah. how can we interrogate all of these different systems in our society and get to the root of to the root of suffering and how do we mitigate you know like eliminate it as much as possible there's always going to be suffering right but like right how can you cause less of it like we can yes. do that work <laughs> not that perpetuate happen. it actively yes, exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and and like uh, understand and I think that's like the root of trauma work right it's understanding your own agency and your ability to change your relationships and, and change your life and change how you engage with the world and hopefully inspire other people to, to go on that journey. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I don't think all trauma therapy focuses on that. You know, I think there's yeah. this, some of my pushback is that a lot of it, I think it's hyper-focused on the individual and like, let's heal your symptoms and kind of this vacuum and for me, I'm like, that's not what healing is. Um, and if it's not in connection to who we are in our community and our family and our voting, you know, just how we show up in the world, I think should always be informed by how is this benefiting others as well as just my own nervous system. Oh, already I'm excited. Because <laughs> uh, one of the things, again, I've been in therapy off and on for about a decade um, mm -hmm. and, and really believe in it and see the value in it. And I'm lucky because my therapist also has a more kind of systems view because what you're talking about is like disease model, you know, the disease model of addiction, the disease model of, of, of trauma, mental illness, like, Yes. Like, especially for me, like once I went on Lexapro, I was like, okay, there's a chemical thing that's going on that can be regulated right. with medication. Yeah. But also like my experience is exacerbated by the fact that I am you know, a woman, right? Like it's exacerbated yes. by not being wealthy, right? Like there are class issues. There are structural issues that are in place that have an impact also. And if you're only yeah. looking at the individual, you're essentially giving all those systems of oppression a pass yes yes and like you said right. if, you're, if you're focused on healing your community you got to heal your community right yes absolutely and I think so many times you know there's this journey which I think can be an important part of the therapeutic process yeah. where folks often realize my parents weren't perfect and then this kind of pendulum swings to my parents were the worst and, you know, I think for many, many people in our country that can afford to get therapy and spend, you know, myself included, spend almost a decade in therapy, you know, then there comes, I hope there comes this process of, and did your 
parents have this option or what was the you know like how are how can we have kindness and empathy to say yeah my parents did a lot of things that damaged me or traumatized me and they did the best they could with the resources that they had and we don't really have a lot of collective ways of engaging or talking about difficulties in families or communities and I think just holding a systems view allows a lot more humanistic view of how trauma happens rather than this like demonizing these are terrible people that meant to do me bad and it's like or they also had a lot of trauma and are trying to navigate that and having kids seems really hard I don't have kids but like, you know it's just <laughs> exactly no, that's a good point too, because I think in, in I, I feel this way about so many things. I, I think people don't realize how much has changed in a relatively short amount of time. And I, I think there's still some stigma about therapy and, and just in regards to mental illness in general. But like, like you're talking about like my parents' age, like that really wasn't a thing that you did. Right. You, right. Just, you just, I mean, again, my grandparents are Polish immigrants, right? Suck it up why are you yep. complaining you got, you've got <laughs> nothing to complain about you know like <laughs> that just stuff it down mm -hmm. and don't talk about it and work and don't think about it and then it you know comes out in all these other sideways ways because it needs yes. to find expression yeah but, mm -hmm. yeah how many people didn't have acts even even though there were therapists back then the the again the social um expectations right like oh yes. there's something oh you're only going to go if there's something really wrong with you and if you go then people will assume that there is something really wrong with you exactly yep mm -hmm. and as you were talking about with you know the the impacts of gender you know it wasn't that long ago that when a woman talked back to her husband she could get a lobotomy you know like there, there was right. serious risks to having a temper you know or just like yes. even just not fitting into what you were supposed to fit into that of course there's going to be layers of how what's going to happen to me are they going to send me away you know and yes. now it's like of course they're not but 50 years ago you know 70 years ago that was not yes. the case exactly yeah you're hysterical and you're going to an institution and you right. have no say in it it's all yes. the men around you who are saying like, no, we got to lock this brought up, right? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> again, not that long ago, there are people alive who lived through that. So, right. yeah. Yeah. I, that also probably comes from, I'm semi-obsessed with uh, Bojack Horseman. Have you seen it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love that show. Yes. I think it does such a good job of capturing intergenerational trauma and these God, things that don't yes. get talked about that just start to manifest in, like you're saying, what we would label as addictions or things rather than like, well, why is this pattern happening or what is this serving? How is it, how are we coping with addictions or things that we need yes. to cope with? Exactly, exactly. Because again, I, I, I think in terms of like, okay, so the organism, like, again, we're these meat sacks, right? And the body wants to protect, like, keep it alive somehow. And when you're experiencing this intense emotional pain and you have no outlet for it because society isn't telling you to how to express it, 
your family, again, the people who traumatized you in the first place, they have (laughs) unprocessed trauma. They don't want to listen to any of it. So what do you do, right? You look for these kind of socially acceptable ways of expressing it. I think about um, my grandmother's hands and that Mm -hmm. idea of like, you know, um, uh, it's like a trauma divorced from um, like context looks like culture, right? Yes. And again, I'm Polish and I'm Irish and there's a lot of drinking in the culture. It's like, or could it be from a genocide and <laughs> yes, <laughs> like being taken over and, and the subsequent cultural shame of that. And then on top mm-hmm. of like, okay, you've been brutalized as a culture and then you're abusive to your kids and that cycle perpetuates itself. Right. Yeah. Talk about mm-hmm. that. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And my, my grandmother's parents came over from Poland as well. Um, <laughs> and so I, I resonate <laughs> with a lot of what you're sharing. Yes. And, and also, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Polish people and Irish people weren't considered white in America. And, and so there's this weird thing of there is white privilege. And that's a relatively new thing for Polish communities and Irish communities and these non Western Northern European descendants. Exactly. I, it it is so wild to me again, because it wasn't that long ago and people don't realize like that alone should teach people that whiteness and race is a social construction and it has nothing to do with what you actually look like. It's what you are perceived as right. And how you are Mm -hmm. othered. And, and so it's also strange to me because I have Polish relatives who are like, major Republicans and Trump supporters and all that I'm like you know I get that you people see you as white now do you remember like a couple generations ago because that's kind of different (laughs) exactly yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh my gosh (laughs) of course you're also Polish okay Yes, there's been, you know, the more I learn about, like, Slavic culture, the more about me makes sense, I feel like. (laughs) Exactly. And it's so funny, because, like, I, I was never, you know, my... you know as it happens where there's less and less culture that gets passed down so I think I maybe had like kielbasa like three times in my life that was my (laughs) Polish thing you know yes and and so then but then there's all these like little things where I'm just I don't know like there's so much again it's this weird double bind of white privilege gets us a lot and there's so much that's lost in this severing of culture and you know in Seattle we have this Polish home association that has Polish dinners every Friday and so my husband and I try to go like as often as we can and just like soak up just people not speaking English and like something familiar about that he has also a lot of Polish roots too and so it's just like there's something ancestral that's felt you know that feels really just amazing I don't know it's hard to put language to but yes but Mm. that that embodied sense because I just you saying this I'm thinking about like my grandparents and 
you know, they came to, to the US after World War II and they very much raised me to like be an American. And so even though right. I grew up with some traditional cooking, like they didn't really speak Polish. I picked up some Polish because when they wanted to talk to each other and me not know what they were saying, they would speak in Polish. Uh -huh. So I of course you want to pay attention to that because that's obviously <laughs> you can't present an enigma to someone with ADHD and not expect them to crack it, you know? Yes. <laughs> I remember the, the first forbidden thing. fruit. <laughs> I must have it. <laughs> But yeah, that like sense of loss of the, like this rich, thriving culture and identity and, and like, I, and probably because of being called, you know, DPs, which is either displaced person or dumb Polak, depending on the, the situation that the experience of being refugees, again, having to leave their homeland and 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 then trying to assimilate essentially to be more white right mm -hmm. and not and not have to feel othered all the time but what's lost right in the process like exactly yeah uh-huh yeah and it, it you know it feels connected to even what we were talking about with therapy is there was a lot of psychoanalysts during world war ii throughout europe and what were they talking about with people you know and and this and we're not that far off in how we treat refugees and immigrants and folks of color in our country now yeah. and so what are we talking about when we're talking about healing like what does that mean if we're engaging primarily wealthy or white people who can pay a hundred and plus whatever <laughs> a session and exactly. we live in a country that is not treating most of the people in our country well to be the understatement of the century <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah yeah it, it's such a i again i i think a lot in terms of of trauma and healing and especially to like the alienation of just existing, especially now with the climate apocalypse and multiple pandemics and everything else going on. How do you, how do you reconcile with yourself? How do you get in touch with yourself? How do you uh, give space to that, that gentleness and kindness? How do you foster that in other relationships? How do you defend those relationships against, as you said, all of these people who are like desperate to other and be cruel to people who are not like them. Right. It, and, and again, I think it like, it, thankfully you as a therapist are talking about these issues and not just like, okay, well, your chemicals are misfiring. Here's the medication for that. And, and then you're fixed, you know? Right. Fixing yeah. as aside from healing, healing is a deep process that requires a lot of work. Yeah. It doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And even kind of the idea that, you know, our nervous systems and our brains are doing what they can to help us survive. And so like the, the misfiring makes so much sense in the world that we live where our bodies and brains are just trying to do yes. the best they can to help yes. us navigate what's all so new in our human history and story. Oh my, exactly. Especially like being a nineties kid, and there was no preparation for that. This is a thing of the past. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. 
oh it's all happening again cool <laughs> i know i mean yes <laughs> <laughs> so you you just talked about how you know you've also been in therapy um for about a decade and you are a therapist what was that journey to get you to the point of helping other people <laughs> it is an interesting journey. Um, Great. <laughs> but, um, so when I was 14 years old, um, and I grew up in very, very evangelical fundamentalist Christianity, um, and I was pretty immersed in that world, was homeschooled most of my life, and just oh, kind of in this wow. very, yes. very small uh, way of viewing the world. Um, and so as part of that, when I was 14 years old, and you may remember the Invisible Children documentary um, came out yes. about child soldiers in northern Uganda. So as a 14 year old, I watched that and was like, God's calling me to Uganda um, and like begged my parents to let me drop out of high school and move there. Thankfully, they did not let me do that, but pretty <laughs> Soon after I graduated high school, I moved to northern Uganda as a missionary to figure out I wanted I had grown up as a dancer as well. And so I wanted to figure out how to use movement and dance therapeutically, oh, which that. was there's so many things that obviously are problematic about this in terms of, of race and power and <laughs> also like stepping into a culture where they already are like of course we use dance to heal from trauma um <laughs> why are you here again <laughs> oh my god um, <laughs> uh, but a lot of that also like you know it's so complex there's obviously a lot of really problematic things about that experience and a lot of really incredibly amazing and beautiful things about that experience but after a few years, my body shut down with vicarious trauma and my own undealt with trauma. And I like broke into shingles. I was having what I would probably consider a borderline like nervous breakdown. Yes. Um, I was pretty like, I, again, not to bring this word up because I actually hate it, but like hysterical because I don't have a better word for that at I, the moment. Exactly. I know. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so... So I actually kind of went to grad school in tandem, both to figure out, like, initially I wanted to move straight back to Uganda. So I was like, okay, I'll learn, actually learn how to do grads or how to do therapy and how to do it sustainably yes. and then move back. And even like you were talking about with the stigma, like I knew I needed help. And I knew as a missionary, I couldn't say I need to talk to a therapist. So there was this very conscious decision that my grad school required students to have therapy. So <laughs> for the first like three years in therapy, it was like, well, I have to go because my school requires it. Yeah. And then it became like, well, I have to stay in it because my clients have a lot of hard things they're telling me. And it was a really long journey for me until I could finally admit, like, I have a lot of shit I'm working <laughs> through. Um, yes. Yeah. And so um, that was just, it's been a very long process and really tending to my own body and story and kind of unpacking why was it the most 
comfortable place for me to be as a 19 year old in a war-torn village in another country and why you know like what was happening in my body and my nervous system and um and so yeah kind of unpacking just the the familial and the cultural traumas that you know we don't often look at as white-bodied folks and so part of my journey personally and professionally is kind of untangling white saviorism and kind of this idea of like let's not focus on ourselves let's focus on those folks over there that are suffering and where that gets entangled with paternalism and racism and all of those things so it's been it's a I it's I feel like it's a hard it's been such a this weird meandering journey that I hope that makes sense as I describe it oh in a hundred percent in a hundred percent makes sense I mean again like I just had Holly on the show like and I so many of my friends are ex-evangelicals actually just found out that my therapist is as well um, I thought she was- it's so great to have a therapist that understands <gasps> that <laughs> it is so, it's so it's so good because as you said it is it is this very specific type of trauma and religious trauma and it is so alienating it, it, you're being alienated from your own body from your own wants you are programmed from a very early age to believe that who you are and what you want. And even, even the body itself is a place of sin, a place of darkness, a place of evil. And, and, and again, like you're talking about like other cultures that aren't alienated from the body, like they understand like, Oh no, if you're grieving, like dance, move, scream, you know, have that full bodied experience because we are again, like we are, we are in these bodies, whatever spiritual experience you want to think we have, we, we have the flesh also. Yeah. <laughs> we have to tend to the flesh. Right. Mm. And, and that, so to me, that's incredible to, to, to uh, escape. First of all, anybody who escapes, I'm just like, Oh, good job. Yes. <laughs> it takes so much. <laughs> of course. And you're, it's a constant, um, it's a constant uncovering, you know, like when I was chatting with Holly of like stuff just comes up and that's been with me in therapy too, where it's like, cool, I'm good for now. And then a couple of years later, something else pops up. I call my therapist and I'm like, guess what? Do you have any opening? Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, but you have to be open to that process. Yeah. And, and again, you know, growing up, that specific kind of religious like that expectation to be perfect and seeing any kind of struggle as a weakness or or even worse like a trial that god is putting you through and you're just supposed to suffer through it and not say anything and not fix it because again there's no greater power so so what are you doing getting involved with like the devil essentially with their whatever so yes so your journey like okay yes you had a you didn't have a straight path you had a meandering (laughs) path but it's a clear path you know what I mean (laughs) yes like that all makes sense (laughs) yeah yeah wow and and yes and then to like so so when did you start dancing 
So this is this weird thing. I, I started dancing as a nine-year-old. Um, I had done gymnastics before that, but had pretty, um, I had issues with scoliosis and my back just like couldn't handle that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I don't know, and I'll never know for sure, but even in like the research that I've done, and I mentioned this when I was talking with Holly and Greg of like, our, our psoas muscle is really correlated to trauma. And it's really common when we develop tight or restricted psoas muscles that it then impacts our skeletal system as well. So I, I will never know with the chicken or the egg thing, but there's so many things that, you know, my body, I, re I guess I started to listen to my body in Africa. And when I look back, I'm like, oh, my body was telling me things all along. I just really couldn't listen to it. Yeah. Um, and so I lived in this weird um, dual reality where I was um, like a competitive dancer for a studio. And we did like very sensual erotic sexual dance pieces and I could be that on stage while growing up in the height of purity culture and having a purity ring and wearing like hoodies and jeans that were five sizes too big <laughs> and so it was this weird like juxtaposition and and I think that's also part of that that rhetoric is that you can be sexualized but you can't have a sexuality oh, and so right. yeah so so I um dance was the one place where I felt in my body I felt powerful I felt like I could express I could do what I needed to do and then when I was 14 right before I saw the Invisible Children documentary, I broke my foot in dance class. Oh and so didn't like every dream I had about that felt like it was stripped away. And in that worldview, the narrative really quickly became dance was a false idol. So God had to take that away so that I would go do what God wants me to do. Because what better purpose than be a missionary in Africa? Oh my, oh my God. Um, and so it's been this like slow meandering journey of me actually coming back more and more to letting myself dance. And I've, do I've done therapeutic movement and facilitated yeah. that for other people. Yeah. And it's actually been a more recent, um, you know, in my own healing journey where I'm like that's great and I really just love performing and I really just love like dancing and that's yeah. okay too yes, um, and I was like having a conversation with my mentor recently because although the narrative isn't you know I, I performing is too selfish so I got to go serve God I think part of that is like working out how to hold privilege responsibly you know and so it's telling my mentor like it feels too selfish or something to just be a performer. Like I should be doing some kind of more social justice -y thing. And my mentor was like, oh, so you're still enacting white womanhood because you're just trying to be helpful to everyone else. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh dang. <laughs> I'm going to have to like go for a thoughtful walk after this. <laughs> totally. I know. I'm like, it's so insidious. It's just like, Yes. Mm -hmm. I never thought about that. That it, 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 it yes. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> wow. Yeah, that that expectation. And again, it's just amplified with evangelicalism of like self-sacrifice, you know, again, who you yeah. are and what you want don't matter what you're able to give other people at the expense of yourself is all that matters. Like that is that's right. your only value. Again, like you're talking about, you can be sexualized. God forbid you actually have sexual desires and want to act on them. Exactly. Or, or just enjoy your body, right? That sensual experience of the joy of dancing. Like, uh-huh. oh. don't do it. Uh-huh. Don't do it. <laughs> totally. You only exist yeah. for other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what I, I love. Um, Willow Watson was an Aboriginal um, Australian woman who did a lot of like social activism work. And she has this quote that I love that says, um, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. If you've come here because you know your liberation is bound up in mine, let's work together. And it's just something I try to stay grounded in. Like if I'm not you know, and it's that thing that both and like we're talking about like healing, it shouldn't only be for me. Right. And if I'm not laboring for my own liberation, any service I'm doing for other people isn't going to be a liberatory stance for them either. It's just going to perpetuate white saviorism and exactly. the system yes. then continues to function and me just continue to be a part of that system rather than yes. how am I either complying with or resisting the system and what it's telling me to do based on my body oh my god I oh my god yes I I'm thinking now I I interviewed Iris Sonia Moon who's in mm. um reclaiming witchcraft and yeah. you know that that sensibility of like okay we're working together right you like as soon as you're like I'm gonna step in and I'm gonna take care of the situation you're objectifying the people around you and her whole sensibility is like, okay, what is my relationship to the people around me, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so then you're meeting them where they are as opposed to imposing your narrative about where they are and where they should be and what you can do to get them where you think they need to be, right? Right. And again, it keeps you, when you're thinking in terms of relationships, it keeps you in the present, in the present moment, and you're always engaging and you're negotiating so you're like listening. It's not just, yeah. I got it. Guess what? I'm, com- I'm coming over. I flew over <laughs> here. Let me tell you how I can say Yes, you. <laughs> I know exactly what you need. Exactly. I have no idea what your experience is, but I can tell you what you need. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Put that on a t-shirt. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, because so much of that is is bound up in not even like understanding that there are people in front of you who understand what you need. Like that was the whole point of like third wave feminism of saying like, hey, we're getting a lot of perspectives from uh, middle-class white ladies about what it means to be a woman and other women have way different experiences based right. off of who they are. Like again, class, race, every every system yeah and you have to again that intersectional worldview like okay how do these different systems create a particular situation what are the needs in that moment for all the people who are at that intersection yes again relationships negotiating talk actually just talking really (laughs) right (laughs) what do you need how can I help yeah yeah which I think is like just allowing like being bodies you know, I think so much of it is like when it gets into this, like, I know what to do 
it's often from this disembodied place that's not relational or intuitive or connected to like, okay, how did we even get here in the first place? Like, why are you a, a suffering? Why are you oppressed? Like, mm -hmm. oh, because we took all your resources, <gasps> you know, and just, you know. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, surely the solution is more intervention because. Yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, one thing you will learn quickly about me is like I'm I'm a quote nerd so I just like my brain thinks in quotes and so another one I love that is um it's from a professor Feroz Manji and he says you can't fight poverty what you can fight is those who make people poor <gasps> and I love oh. that <laughs> so much sending me yes <laughs> exactly you you bring up this good point because like again, we, we create these abstractions, right? We're going to fight poverty. We're going to fight the war on terror. It's like what? You can't fight concepts, right? Like you can't yeah. fight a winning battle against a concept. You can be in perpetual war. And again, keep people in perpetual stress and adrenal fatigue from these battles, the war on, you know, like, like, yeah. but how do you like, again, fighting poverty, like all oh, this abstract impossible thing as opposed to your uh, 200 billionaire families that are destroying the earth like oh well those are people <laughs> right like, maybe we should focus efforts <laughs> on that a little bit exactly you know we can just tax these people and then we'll have all the resources we need <laughs> yes yeah yes stop flying them to the moon and maybe slow down climate change just a little bit <laughs> a little bit can we ban private jets please and then we can right. have plastic straws back you know what i mean <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> focus on what needs the focus right mm -hmm. so there was this other thing that you mentioned that i keep thinking about in terms of your body was talking to you essentially that whole time and like not listening to that and that like like that i, I don't know i'm just like moved by that journey of like getting back into yourself because again i mentioned alice miller like you know, she talks about her clients who had all yeah. these physical symptoms. And then as soon as they started addressing the real trauma behind it, the body yeah. released it, right? Released that pain, released that anxiety. And there's such a power in that. Yeah. And it also requires you to like, I don't know, I think a lot in terms of like the shame that people feel about like illness or injury, like when you're talking about like you broke your foot, and then yeah. suddenly it was like god punishing you yes as opposed to you no know, random things just happen when you like you are dancing you're stressing out your body sometimes things just happen right, mm -hmm. right? when it's like 10 p.m and you've been dancing for four hours oh, geez. you might be a little fatigued and you woke up at 6 a.m for high school <laughs> exactly yes. so like how did you and it might be an ongoing process like how did you finally unpack kind of that um like seeing injury or seeing illness as like punishment from god mm -hmm. as opposed to again just coming to a place of like well stuff just happens yeah that's a great question i think as we've touched on these isms like racism and sexism, I think for me, I've learned a lot um, 
from my friend who has a limb difference and kind of understanding ableism and, um, you know, growing up in an able body, there were things in evangelicalism that I didn't experience, uh, such as people always wanting to pray for you to be healed or insinuating that there was something in your life. And, and, and just kind of learning more of those stories and the, and the stories that we as a culture say about different disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as part of that journey, I read the book Disability Visibility, um, and it's just a bunch of stories from mm-hmm. folks living in differently abled bodies. And one of them, I God, I just can't not quote. That this is I love it. I love saying. it. Feed me with the quotes. I love it. <laughs> I remember which story it was, but they said like, I'm not disabled because of my body. I'm disabled because of the way that the system is created. That isn't, isn't created for bodies like mine, you yes. know? And that was really a paradigm shift for me in um, kind of this idea of what's called healthism, you know, where individuals are responsible for their own health and well-being, right. when it, health and well-being is, one, very, very vast. People live in different bodies, yes. and health crises get perpetuated because of socioeconomic status and class and all yes. of these things, like who has access to eat organic or who has access to only have McDonald's every day and kind mm-hmm. of the ways in which communities are, are created where, yeah. you know, there's, you know, in, in poorer communities, you have to drive 30 minutes to get to a grocery store where there's fast right. food on every single corner. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, there's, there's yeah. all of these different ways in which, how we can care for our body is not separate from these systems. Right. Um, and so that's also felt like it's, it's still a very unfolding journey and unpacking that. Um, and just, yeah, I think learning how we are meaning making beings, I think we will always <laughs> make meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also untangling the stories that have been told about what illness means like if you think there's some omniscient being in the sky waiting to punish you and will do that through illness that's not a very agentful stance like there's nothing you can really do (laughs) apparently move to africa and so you know i'm like um just having more of a, a critical look at where are these stories and where these narratives come from about our bodies and you know often like how our our bodies quote unquote should function or should be like bodies are there's as many ways that the body is going to function as there are bodies on the planet and that's okay yeah yes and and that it's so you're essentially touching on this thing that i'm like constantly struggling with because i again alice miller my own experience with trauma and like, and the body, like, and like the research on um, chronic illness and, and, you know, you're talking about scoliosis, like, like there is a good body of literature that shows how trauma affects the body. And, you know, I run in like new age and occult circles 
And to me, there's this like danger too. It's like the other side of this kind of Christian narrative of like, God is punishing you where it's like, well, you chose this, right. Or, or again, your lack thinking invited this into your life. And I, that kind of stuff, I get so mad. I get so mad about it because it's essentially, again, very much like evangelical Christianity is like, well, you're the cause of your own suffering. It's not genetic abnormalities, again, um, like uh, uh, toxic soil and uh, carcinogens (laughs) everywhere. No, no, it's because it's because you didn't have your vibrations aren't high enough. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so it's like, it's, you know, to me, it's always finding that balance of like, okay, understanding that there are certain things in my life and certain things in my body that are likely caused by trauma, you know, and childhood trauma. And also again, like, okay, but I have the, the ability to unlock these things to, to eat. Like if I can eat better, you know, and, yes. and also not just me, but like, how do we fight for like healthier, accessible food for everyone? Uh-huh. How, how do we yep. protect the soil for the world? You know, totally like, yep. talk about climate change. And now I'm always like, but the soil, this is what we really need. To yeah, <laughs> totally. I know. I, I mean, I think growing up in evangelicalism and all of these reasons, I, I joke that not joke that I, I think I'm getting better, but for most of my life, I've sort of been like a cult magnet where I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to jump into this, this new cult um and and I think that can happen where it's just like I think we crave dogma we crave answers and one thing my therapist would always say is nothing's a problem until it's the only solution and so I feel that way with like yeah you can take these things you can raise your vibrations you can do these things and if you cling to it as like and this is the only thing and I this you know and nothing else matters then it's just another dogma and it's just another way of confining how expansive we are as beings and connection to this planet. Yes. It's so funny. Cause like, I, I mean, you heard the humanize me episode I was on, you know, like Bart, I think really wanted me to pin me down on something. And it's like, sorry, man, I don't believe in anything. Which is what I loved so much. (laughs) Because again, that's like a, uh, again, I feel like I've been practicing chaos magic longer than I realized that's what I was doing, but it's that, it's that kind of sensibility of like, okay, this can be true for me in the moment. It can be very powerful for me in the moment. Is this the ultimate truth that is the forever for everyone for all time? No, like, yeah, no, there's too much. There's too much in the universe and, and again, our language is too limited in scope to say like, okay, this one thing that I'm able to articulate somehow expresses a universal truth, please yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. get over yourself, you know, <laughs> and especially if it's some kind of like, again, I, cause I, I do, I'm a, you know, power, positive thinking, changing your vibration, changing your thoughts, changing your uh, attitudes. I've done that in my own life and made incredible changes in my life just by changing the way I looked at the world and decided to engage with the world. Incredibly powerful. But again, if you if think that that's the only thing or that uh, uh, the thing that like gets me mad is the idea that like, oh, well, we chose to incarnate in this time and in this place right. because we knew we could 
we could we had to experience the suffering I'm like yeah fuck that no I, yeah. I have no I know and I'm close to too many people who have experienced horrifying things yeah. they didn't they didn't pick this and to right. say that they picked this absolves abusers of their actions yes yeah yeah yep. yeah I get I I just that's a for years, because I, I, as someone who believes in all that, we incarnate and all of that was saying like, yeah. you know, she was initially really upset about like Hurricane Katrina because she, you know, had traveled to New Orleans every year and then said like, well, you know, I realized that they chose to incarnate so that they could be there during that time and have that experience. Like, I don't. <laughs> no no No, that's a no from me right that will continue to be a no from me forever (laughs) right which I think you know as you said it's just it's just another way of that kind of missionary saviorism mindset of like I'll tell them what's best for them or what they're doing whereas like I think it's a to people to decide if someone wants to say maybe I chose this and that's what I resonate with but don't put that on someone else to say what's true for them or what's not true for them oh my god exactly exactly like you can't you can't make meaning for everyone else you know and Mm -hmm. and nor should you because again right like you're talking about how we all have different bodies and and those bodies exist in the world in in every in a unique way Mm -hmm. again the the meaning that we make for ourselves and each of us is different than anyone else because of again our experience within that intersection of different you know systems of oppression our the our childhood like our Again, the way we look, like all of that determines how our view of the world. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm in, I'm doing this training right now that's kind of exploding my brain a little bit, Um, just around kind of the concept of anti-racism and one of the things that's doing out of many is kind of even problematizing the construct of human and how like what has been labeled human is from colonialism is from the bourgeoisie is from this idea of this is what it means to be human and so even in like diversity and equity and inclusion what we're doing is assimilating and saying oh these people want to do this because they're human and that's what all humans want, rather than how do we honor communities that might look incredibly different than our community, and that doesn't make them less than, or that right. doesn't mean we need to impose our quote-unquote values or morals right. on their community, and it's just been this kind of mind-blowing, <laughs> like, of course, <laughs> and oh, man. <laughs> Well, that, and it's, I think that a lot of people shy away from doing that work because once you start scratching at the surface, there's no bottom. It, it, you are, once you start and are committed to it, you are constantly scraping away and digging through all of this shit that gets stacked on top of you and taught you that that's just how the world is. Right. 
well, that's just it. And you're like, well, does it have to be? Well, what about this? What about this? It is, uh-huh. it is constant. Everything gets questioned. I like living in that space. A lot of people I think are very scared of that space and don't want mm-hmm. to be challenged because they're just like, no, no, I, that, no, I feel safe. I might be very unhappy, but I feel safe in this space. Like, yes. yeah, but you could be uncomfortable, but actually really happy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. that. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think like, I, I used to think I hated learning. And then I kind of realized like, that's because most of my life, it was like my homeschool science book said, we don't have dinosaurs because they couldn't fit on the ark. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I, it's not that I hated learning. I just hated stupid answer. And I actually didn't know that like, learning actually leads to more questions and you might never actually have the answers and you can keep exploring whereas like I felt I've always been a very curious person Mm -hmm. and so I would I would be like oh what's this and then it was just this super matter of fact black or white usually not smart answer and it was like okay uh (laughs) so when you can live in that like oh wait we just get to forever learn that sounds so much better to me. Exactly. <laughs> That's just the way it is, I guess. Oh, I oh, I I hurt for you and like childhood you that just got like no nope, slapped down for any excitement about the world and learning and knowing like oh again I I always think about like my my college a research methodology class and the professor he was like listen in science you never prove anything. You only disprove and fail to disprove. That's the scientific method. Oh, yes. You're just always working with the best fit model at any given point. And there's a power in that because you can always learn something new. Yeah. You always have a new way of looking at the world. You can always broaden your horizons. Like, again, Mm -hmm. that's exciting. Like, there's like to me, there's a little bit of FOMO of like, I'll never know everything. I do totally. (laughs) I've come to terms with that. Yes. Then I can keep asking the questions and keep reading and keep talking to people and just like, oh, it's like, oh, what do you know that I don't know? Teach me. (laughs) It's powerful. It is. Yeah. Definitely keeps things a lot more interesting. I totally, exactly. So it's not just, I don't know. I, I, some people are fine. I, I can't, I don't think they're fine. I think they've convinced themselves that they're fine maybe they are actually fine I can't understand people who are just like no I got it that's it I don't need to go exploring there's a whole world yeah I have never been that person (laughs) (laughs) do you also have ADHD (laughs) probably I would not be I mean I think I like I drink coffee and it calms me down so I think that yeah that's that's the diagnostic by the way (laughs) there it is I know I like pretty much you know this is the problem of going to grad school for counseling is that like studying the DSM I pretty much was just like yep 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 (laughs) It's hard. You got a whole manual right there. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, so we've been talking a lot about bodies 
and and reclaiming your bodies. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your embodied sexualities class? Sure. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Of um, yeah. So primarily in my private practice for about six, well, a little over six years, I've been working with primarily cisgender white women who also grew up in evangelicalism, purity oh. culture. Um, and so the course is very much born out of my own journey personally and my professional journey and the individual and couples counseling me and my husband have done for years <laughs> yeah. processing through all of the messages that we learned or didn't learn about sex speaking of like curiosity and growing right. up in abstinence only education there's a lot of oh dead ends there yes. <laughs> yeah and so yeah. um so the course is a few different things it's partly the sex education most folks never got uh, and so whether folks are in a relationship or single it really is for everyone and it really honors sexuality as a spectrum including asexuality so it's not assuming you want to have sex or, or you want to have intercourse but it kind of expands like what does it mean to be a being in reciprocity and what does it mean to practice consent what does it mean to practice pleasure what does it mean to to practice all of these things that might include intercourse they might include a partner they might include solo they might include all of these different things mm -hmm. um and then again because i really believe that our personal liberation should always be connected to collective liberation there's also a module on the history of purity culture and understanding the what I call the trope of young white women and why there was such an emphasis in the 90s on particularly white women's sexuality and purity oh. and how that is really intertwined with these systems of patriarchy and um, white supremacy and and so understanding that our sexuality doesn't occur in a vacuum and the way that we experience our gender, our body, our sexuality is because of all of these layers and more that we've been talking about. And so the course is really, while there's a lot of content in it, it's really intentionally a process oriented course. And so it's, I can't call it therapy because it's an online course. And it is a very, I hope, a very therapeutic and healing process for people. It engages really similar questions that I've engaged with myself, that I've engaged with clients for years now to help people explore. Um, and so there's like video lectures for each module. There's nine modules. And then there's a ton of reading in each module with different links to different YouTube videos or resources. Yeah. Um, and then there's like an over a hundred page workbook um, that people can continue yeah. reading and, and just like, there's like coloring pages and just different creative okay. ways of engaging the content. Yes. Um, and then there's audio somatic exercises that really are meant to help folks just get in touch with their body, their breath, their movements in ways that feel safe and kind. Um, so it's been a big labor of love. Um, my yes. husband is a cinematographer and editor. So he did all of the filming, editing, all of that. Fantastic. Stuff. He did a great job. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So if people want to find you and uh, find out more about the course, uh, where can they go? 
Yeah, uh, the best place would be the course website. It's just indwell, I-N-D-W-E-L-L, movement.com. And I'm also on Instagram, and it's just indwell underscore movement. Perfect. Great. I'll link yes. all those in the description. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. My God, thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you so much for listening and or watching. You can find Jenny at indwellmovement.com. Um, I'm going to list her website and also uh, links to her social media. She is fantastic. Again, again, I adore her. Um, please beam love at her as well. Uh, you can also sign up for her embodied sexuality course online. Um, I've signed up for it. Uh, I plan on taking it. Um, if you want a study buddy, let me know. We can share notes. Uh, if you want to keep track of personal pans, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter for as long as Twitter exists at personal pans. You can always find me at Kali Butterfly. That's K-A-L-I butterfly.com. Um, I try to find that username um, everywhere because soon we're all going to be um, bereft um, of Twitter. Uh, thank you again so much for watching and or listening. And um, I hope you have a playful and curious day.